Welcome to Paper Money, the podcast covering the business side of the game industry. I'm Ben Clark. And I'm Rhett Kipp. Today is January 6th, 2013. Woohoo! I know. And as you pointed out... We survived the Mayan disaster. There was a disaster? Yeah, well, the Mayans are dead, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah, long, long standing. And now, Rhett, you had an amazing but true fact about the year 2013. It's it's a first year since 1987 that doesn't have a repeating digit. There you go, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, I, I think we, we're done now. We can go home after that public service announcement. We're all done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's now, it. Good well, night. My New Year's resolution for 2013, the year with the non-repeating digits, is to play more games. That's exciting. I didn't play enough in 2012. I think I actually I did... I spent more time doing the podcast in 2012 than I actually spent at the gaming table. If that, you, that's if, sad. Yeah, if you take out the time I spent playing games at Gen Con. Yeah, I, I, I played more convention games at conventions this year than I have, I think, in my entire life, at least since I started working convention circuit. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah, You know, that was one of my things when I started working in the game industry that I, I realized conventions aren't any fun anymore because I'm not playing, I'm working. Yeah, Sucks. It did, actually, for a while. That said, let's move on to the the news. Oh, you know what? Before we do the news, hey, real quick. This is our big 2012 recap show. So we're going to be talking about nothing but 2012 and were we right or wrong and all this stuff in 2012. So those of you who tuned in for that based on the header on on the Internet page, yes, that is what we're going to be talking about. But first, the news. Okay. The news, uh, our lead story this week. 2013, is it the year of the board game? This according to toynews-online.biz. I don't know that uh, they're an English site. I haven't heard of them before, but uh, they say quote several people saying that they think it's going to be huge, and they're talking about uh, launching all these new games and stuff at Toy Fair 2013. Red, I, I don't think 2013 is going to be the year of the board game. Well, I think they're I behind be the curve if they think it's going to do anything other than grow. Well, here's the thing. It it, it depends. Now, one, this is an English publication, and, it, and it's, it, it, it doesn't say they have an English slant, but let's assume they have an English slant. Maybe they don't have as big a growth in board games in England until now. Well, the, you have to remember, too, that Euro the Euro market's very different than their mass market is a lot more uh, like our Euro market, our hobby market. Right. So for them, yes, 2013 could be the year of the board game. We'll have to see. Anyways, I thought it was interesting enough uh, to quote. Uh, just because mass market sales were were down, I'm I'm kind of jumping uh, into the 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 next part of the show. Uh, but but the that mass market sales were down again uh, this year. So uh, surprise, yeah, big deal. Anyways, uh, in other news, um, every game you could possibly think of is now on iOS. Uh, most recently. <laughs> Uh, Space Hulk will be coming well, to PC. Well, every game that they can think of, because not the ones that I could think of. Okay, all right, point taken. Uh, I, I think So You Want to Be a Rockstar, the role-playing game, has not come to iOS yet. And Ivan Ewart is sad. Um, but Space Hulk, it was just announced it'll be PC, Mac, iOS. Uh, Pandemic, I think, just came out on iOS. And Stone Age, I think it's been out for a little bit, uh, but I know it just got some reviews uh, in the last month or so. So... Again, board games coming to iOS. I, you know what? That's a huge thing, by the way. I don't know if anyone's noticed this or not. Most most games in the App Store sell for ninety nine cents or two bucks. 
board games. I mean, except for the big EA titles, which I think sell for six ninety nine or nine ninety nine. Right. Stone Age, Pandemic, uh, Carcassonne, Settlers. These are four ninety nine, five ninety nine a pop. These and and they're doing well. So right. uh, this is a someone uh, a genius uh, came up with the pricing model for this, and they're the, the these guys are making money hand over foot. Um, yeah, they are doing just tremendous, and everybody's looking to expand it. I, I hope it continues. I, I know that there are a few games, uh, for instance, Ascension, uh, the, the deck building game. I, I, I basically, I'm playing it all the time on iOS and I'm buying the expenses, expansions on iOS and it's leading me to actually go out and then purchase the expansion in paper. So, yeah, iOS, good to do. Please, all of you, put your games on iOS. We highly recommend it. And finally, this one is has nothing to do with the game industry, but it's very interesting in light of our story last month about Games Workshop. Nestle won a court case saying that no one else can make a candy bar with four rectangular pieces like a Kit Kat. Uh, I think it's fantastic. It just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. And I think this is I think this is terrible. Because yeah. what it's saying is is that the shape of the product even if the product is not does not infringe on KitKat, uh, you can't produce a, a candy bar that looks like a KitKat because they have trademarked or, or they have that shape locked down. And where I see this going is, and this was, I, by the way, this was uh, in uh, an EU court. Do you really do you think Games Workshop might cite this? It won't a, help if it's an EU court because it's a U.S. case. True. And where so the most... Europeans can be as loony as they want to be, right? But we, on the other hand, require acts of Congress to be loony. <laughs> True, isn't for? I thought Forge World was English, though. Uh, Forge World is English, but their lawsuit is against an American company. Okay, all right, gotcha. so it's filed in U.S. court. All right, you see where I'm going on this? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So it could in- impact the. European we don't recognize market. French law either. It's because it's based on the Napoleonic Code. There's a good reason why we don't, but yes, exactly, my point. Anyways, okay, I thought it was interesting that we, we were saying, though, that you, right, you can make fenders for a Ford Focus and as an aftermarket manufacturer and not have to pay royalties to Ford because the shape of that fender is not patented. But now they're saying that the candy bar shape is unique. So, Well, and you're, you're right, and, but as we have pointed out, this is in the EU court. Yeah. Which doesn't hold any water in the U.S. It no, it can't precedent it or anything else. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't serve as precedent. But I do do say that if if that's the way the winds are blowing, uh, yeah, it, well, the world can get scary at times. That's right. That's right. So welcome and, to China. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, yeah. Where you can make any candy bar you want and name it Kit Kat. Uh, that's right. Because the IP production is zero. And, and print the rules to Carcassonne on the inside of it. God forbid the Chinese ever try and develop a homegrown uh, intellectual property industry. That's, just so they can be stolen by everybody else. Yeah, they, yeah, that's what I mean. They'll, yeah, exactly. It'll just know they're they'll have to completely change their their law. All right. That said, that's all the news. Really, there wasn't a lot of news. We had Christmas, and so everybody was busy shopping, eating, and playing new stuff. So. That's it for the news. And now, ta-da, cue the trumpets, our 2012 predictions redo. So, Rhett, it's that, it, it, for those of you who haven't done this with us before, 
Red and I do what very few pundits do, and that is we go back and see if we were right. <laughs> we we admit to what we did. That's right. That's right. So uh, at the beginning of 2012, we made uh, predictions for board games, collectible card games, RPGs, uh, minis, war games. What else did we do? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the mass market as well as retail and conventions. So we did a lot of different uh, areas within the industry. And now you can see, you can, we're, you're going to hold our feet to the fire and let's see if we were right or not. So we started off with board games and we both predicted another strong year, uh, with Euros still gaining in popularity. We talked about, uh, the deck building mechanic, uh, was continuing to grow as a meme. Uh, Rhett pointed out the, the non collectible card games like Rhett. You're talking the current ones or the ones that we were talking about at the time? Just, anyways, non-collectible card games like the living card games. The uh, living card games. Yeah. Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight, exactly. So, uh, we said that, anyways, Euro board games and and the the deck building games were going to do really well. And, Rhett, what would you say? How do do you think we did? Um, I'd say we got a, uh, are we going by a number or an alpha? I would, I would, oh, well, I think last year we just kept, no, we, we just did pass fail. Okay. So we'll continue with pass fail. We passed. We yeah. passed probably with, you know, ex- exceedingly passing. Uh, we called this well. Yeah. I, yeah. I, th- I don't think this one was too hard to miss. And, but if you, you know, uh, net, is it, uh, net runner? Uh, Netrunner's number one. Star Wars, I believe, is number two. <laughs> yeah, in terms of the the games, uh, both of those are deck building mechanic games, and uh, those are on uh, those are uh, leading the hotness, so to speak. Leading the at, hotness factor. Yeah, over at Board Game Geek. On, and a congratulations out there to Fantasy Flight. Really? Why? Why do you say yeah. that? They're both Fantasy Flight games. I, you know, I should have, duh. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, yeah. Well, do, do, do this just didn't fantasy flight wins big. Uh, it's the story every year. Uh, yeah, it's, they've been pretty good for about a, over a half a decade. Yeah. I, I'm jealous. Congratulations, so I, Christian. Way to go. Yeah. Well, you know, I keep seeing the job postings, you know, uh, for like Rosewood. Is it Rosewood, Minnesota? And, I believe so. Yeah. And I just want to go. Boy, I'd have to really love working for FFG to go to Rosewood, Minnesota. I mean, Minneapolis is a great town. Don't get me wrong. I'm packing my bags. Yeah. Yeah, I'll bet. All right. You know, I happen to like that part of the country. Uh I'm a lunatic. I like cold weather and snow and the Vikings. Minneapolis, Minneapolis is for Chicagoans who say, you know, I'm tired of the dirt and the crime, but most importantly, it's just not cold enough. It's not cold enough, and it's not enough snow. And That's you know what right. else really disappoints me? The summers aren't really as bug-infested. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, now, Rhett, you had said that there were two or three breakout games you thought were coming and that maybe a new category of games was on the horizon for the board game uh, collect- or non-collectible card game market. Yeah. That, that was kind of – I don't know if we the, – the breakout games I think we got – uh, like I said, we the, definitely got the breakout games. We didn't see the new category. No, which and you were thinking of the constructible ship type uh, game category, or the construct right, the constructible like X wing type game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that kind of everybody tried it. It hasn't. It didn't really go. Right. So, so I'd give us an A or a you know a, a pass with a caveat. Right. We we did no. Miss, I, miss I think we definitely lot. have a pass. And yeah, you know we're we're fine in that because we predicted well everything else. Pretty much. All right. Collectible card games. Now, uh, 
in 2011, I had predicted the slow decline of the category and then was uh, shocked to hear that Magic the Gathering volume had doubled since 2008. So <laughs> after being slapped around. I still around, love that part. That's my favorite part I of know, the year. I know. After being slapped around by that prediction, I predicted a steady sales of the in the top tier and pretty much nothing for the rest. And, Rhett, you said uh, pretty much the same. Pretty much and, the same. And That's the answer what? is... Ta-da, we were right. Yeah, the, the, right. the big boys, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, uh, did great guns in 2012, and crickets, really, for the rest of the pack. I, I, they're, yeah, they're, obviously, there are people a couple tried of a couple of things, including a new big you know, toy launch piece that didn't do very well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, with the big uh, TV show tie-in. Yeah. So now, is that a problem with the, the, the TV show failed, or is that a problem with the game, you think? I think that was the game, because unrelated to our market... But in this weird collectible thing, the, the other huge, huge success in the mass market thing is the new interactive toys, the ones that are – they have the chips in them and they work on your video game. And Are these the Skylanders? I believe that's the name of the thing. Uh, yeah, I, saw this I apologize yeah. for not knowing it. Sorry, yes. My kids have now aged out of the – the Nickelodeon toy category, so to speak. So I don't, you know, they're, they're all about Xbox and, you know, iPod touches and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I missed, I missed the, missed that meme, but yeah, you're right. The interactive toy was, uh, was big this year. Uh, the, what's interesting is I think the interactive toy was big, not so big were the iPad related tie-ins, right? Remember there were, that was the, uh, other than, like it was like it was a board game, but you stuck your iPad in it, and there were things like that. That yeah, yeah. Um, this was the toy that basically it read from it. Yeah, yeah um, I think those are going to even be something like that's going to be even bigger. And but we'll get to that in the 2013 predictions. Exactly. Um, okay. Continuing. Yes. So we've nailed two categories. Then we get to RPGs, which. Uh, we said uh, 2012 was weird because they had uh, Watsi had announced uh, D&D 5th edition so early. And yeah. we had said that there could be some really cool breakout games like Star Wars. And we also said that small press uh, in the indie market uh, was really taken off and we expected them to continue to do well. Rhett, how did we do? I'd say we got a pass barely. Um, we got the weirdness factor on Wizards. Uh, the RPGs in general did pretty good, and Star Wars kind of almost released the beta version. You got to pay for it, Gen Con, <laughs> and it came out again at Christmas time. That's right, through no fault of our own, we missed on Star Wars. Yeah, uh, that was not. Yeah, it should have been. It was on the. They schedule. really tried to get out there, it and did. to FFG's credit, the Warhammer 40K continues to dominate their the RPG market along with Pathfinder. So they yeah. they've got one still. Cranking away now, and, and now everybody uh, had a chance to see D and D Fifth Edition. Uh, the The line to beta test uh, at Gen Con was was huge. Yes, and very much. Um, the initial feedback is I, I don't want to say muted because that would imply that that people didn't. I'd like see it. mixed at present. People yeah. are still people are still not sure what they're going to see. Um, I know that there's a lot of hesitation from older players. Because of the the credentials of people that were involved in the project that have since dropped out, right? Um, you know, so there are there's some people that are kind of wondering what the real product's going to end up being like. Well, you know, and, and they started beta testing so early, um, 
certainly anyone who has done a beta test of anything or, or I mean, really, we're talking alpha testing. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're stage. talking a game that they're they're still calling another almost eighteen months before release. Yes, there's a long way to go. This now, is a long way before this project comes out. Yeah. What I will say, as Wizards has definitely thrown the gauntlet. Yes, they have, and so, uh, but it didn't happen in 2012. It did not. So, uh, but it but it's been interesting, and it has. Uh, Frozen the market. Oh, I won't say it's frozen the market. Actually, that'd be the wrong thing to say. Uh, what it, uh, what they're hoping to do it, that it will do is freeze the market. On the other hand, uh, now Red Pathfinder sales. Pathfinder still on top. Pathfinder still, still on, on top. Or, or as we, I said, uh, Warhammer 40k is doing really well. As yeah. additionally, a lot of the older title RPGs continue to plug away fairly nicely. Mm-hmm. Now. One of the things that I had, uh, I, I wouldn't, I didn't go as so far as to call it a wild ass guess, right? But so I, you can't, we can't pass fail me on this. But I did say, I did posit the idea of OGL returning. Yes, and it kind of did. Uh, yes, and it kind of tanked. Yeah, Pathfinder released the OGL, and the few things that have come out so far have not done very well. Yes, and people about, like Pathfinder for Paizo, not too interested in the second parties. Right, and so uh, what I had posited, of course, was that Watsi would do this uh, for uh, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition to get more people to buy the rulebooks, to get back into the system, and if, quite frankly, if Pezzo failed with it or these other companies failed with it, I, I, I don't see Wizards doing that anymore either. So so uh, I get a big ding for speculating on the return of OGL. Uh, I also speculated that iBook would be a, a neat new uh, place in which to market uh, RPGs and things like that uh, because of the interaction, because of the large market. Um, and so far, no. Uh, traditional PDF has been where it's at. Yeah. So I, I, I absolutely with you there. There was no big yeah. moving at all towards the books, the yeah. iBooks. So you know what? I think you can fail me for those two, for both of those two. And even though I got everything else right, I, I was big on OGL and I was big on iBook, uh, so fail me on that. But you passed. Okay. So we'll. we'll so we're doing it. okay. Yeah, yeah. Then we get to miniatures. What are those? That, you know, okay, let's keep going. No, oh, miniatures, sure. Uh, a special place in the heart for both of us, but uh, <laughs> not a huge segment of the industry. But we had pointed out that uh, Flames of War Third Edition was coming out. Uh, we both talked about Catalyst Leviathans. And the continued move by companies that can afford to, uh, to plastic miniatures. And the result this year, right, we said that those were going to be the big things uh, for 2012. And the result this year was Flames of War did things. really well. Yeah. Uh, now, we, we didn't really talk about Star Wars X-Wing, which has been a huge breakout hit. Yes. Uh, so we, we, we kind of missed X-Wing. But, you know, details were so sketchy on what they were going to do with the Star Wars license. That I, I don't know if I, I don't know if we can take the hit for that. Well, they they showed it to us, but it was still a little weird as to the categories and how they were going to manufacture and produce it. Right. Um, they've done a spectacular job, and you know my my favorite thing about the success level of this is when they did the promo on the uh, the new releases that are not actually going to arrive until February. Right. Uh, the people who managed to get 
their uh, Millennium Falcons mm-hmm. in December, put them on eBay for between three and three hundred and fifty dollars successfully. Wow! Yeah, uh, it's a thirty dollar mini when it comes out in February. That's 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 a neat trick. All right, now Rhett, uh, you have to take the ding for saying that Dust Minis from FFG has a big chance to break out. Yeah, it just got bigger. That's right. That's right. It was swamped with product and not a lot of buzz. Really, as I believe would be the best way to describe it, I think. Uh, now, I'm, maybe we'll get angry, you know, emails from the dust community, but it's a, it's not lighting the world on fire. Poor FFG. No, it's they, it's yeah, done they, okay, but it has not made the kind of penetration that the rest of the FFG lines have done. Yeah, let's see. Uh, Netrunner, X Wing, Warhammer 40K. Yeah, they're doing okay over at FFG. <laughs> they're doing uh, pretty good there. So they, I guess they, they figured most of their stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting enough, by the way, I want to jump back uh, just a little bit. One of the products that didn't do as well as I thought in 2012 was FFG's uh, trading card game. Uh, was it Rune Age? And it did make mass market, though. Uh, was it a Target? Was it one of the ones they It carried? was one of the Target releases, yes. Well, you know, the and I played this game at Gen Con, and the, the problem with that game, uh, and I think the core game came out in 2011. The problem with it, the core game wasn't that great of a game until the expansion that came out at Gen Con in 2012. If you buy the two together, it's one of my favorite uh, deck building games uh, that I've ever played because mm-hmm. you can you can go after the other players, right? So you can you can build your deck and you can prevent the other person from building theirs, right? So there's that element of conflict that's missing from a lot of uh, deck building games. Um, and I thought that with the expansion that this would be something that would be a sleeper hit. And you know what? No. Well, now, I think you've called one of the problems there that in our industry, that might happen. Right. In the mass market industry, they're not going to look for an expansion. That oh, Exactly. Well, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect it to necessarily break out in Target and, you know, to have uh, people running up to me uh, at work and saying, hey, have you played this? Uh, but... You know, in the hobby industry, you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff. Like Ascension took a long time to take off, right? Um, but there's, there's this one. This one didn't. So I, 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 you know, that was one I never predicted. But it's one that I thought, gosh, FFG, if you'd done, if you'd, if you'd released the two as one product initially, I think they would have had a, a whole different reaction in the marketplace. All right. Um, well, and oh, go ahead. Be- before we finish up on that, one of the yeah. things I'd like to point out is I think FFG actually ends up competing with itself. They've done so many successful products in so many different categories yeah. that they're really, in some ways now, competing with their own success with their next success. True. And, you know, it's uh, we don't mention this a lot. FFG has quietly become, I want to say they're the fourth or fifth largest slash uh, toy slash game manufacturer in the United States. I'm not sure they're that low. Uh, I, well, Hasbro and Mattel are ahead of them. Hasbro, um, Mattel... And then who else if you're counting U.S.? Yeah. Because uh, GW is the U.K. Yeah, I, I, I remember. I haven't seen this statistic in a while. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to go try and dig that back up. Yeah, but like I said, they're, they're a big company. Yes, and I mean, they, you know, we've already talked about this. They already have, not only are they in mass market, they may have now the most products outside of Mattel and Hasbro in the mass market. Yeah, yeah, in terms of the, the games for sure. 
Uh, one of the things that uh, we we had talked about for miniatures was uh, okay. Oh, by the way, before we go into the to that part, Leviathan sold out, so it was it was kind of a hit, but nobody knows if it's going to be a huge hit because it sold out. <laughs> we, we round two has not started. That's right. That's right. So when round two hits and we all buy again, uh, you'll know it's a huge hit. Uh, the Hobbit did okay. Right, it, but it the follow up product didn't is is my understanding. The, the core game seems to have done very well, but I have seen very little response to beyond the core. You know the the different ex, extra sets of forces. You know more orcs and more trolls and things like that. Um, people like this starter set, but don't seem to be expanding like they did with the Lord of the Rings series. Well, you know, I think Lord of the Rings lends itself to the the fantasy battle, the mass battle format. And, and really you only get one of those in the Hobbit. Well, and, and I also think that part of what happened was there was a, a lot of things that I've heard, which are kind of interesting is people complaining about the imagery of like the trolls and stuff like that. Yeah. That's not GW. Yeah. You know, they look like what they look like in the movies. Right. Right. Which is, yeah. And you know, you, you, you source your license Guess yeah. what? That's what you have to go with. On the other hand, the WizKids Hobbit stuff is doing well. Okay. I'm all ears. Well, that's that's what's to be said of it. They've yeah. released a couple of different products. They have a core starter set and a bunch of you know single blister type of pieces that they released for it. And those have done really well. Okay. No, we hadn't talked about that. You're right. Actually, we we had talked a little bit about pre-painted as a category, but I hadn't we hadn't talked about the WizKids Hobbit stuff. So good to know. Uh, moving on to an even more insignificant category <laughs> than miniatures. Let's talk about war games. And again, this is a, a category that has a special place in my heart. And now I had said that um, Academy Games had some interesting stuff in play testing. And uh, the that uh, conflict of heroes had done well, and that was that was really about it. There wasn't a ton of stuff that you know we we said we I, I you know there's a ton. Here's the thing: we said it's a good time to check out the hobby because there's a lot of really great, serious games that are fun to play. Uh, there's there's a lot of card based games. There's a lot of deck building games. There's a lot of games that are a little more abstract. But have some some feel to them that are that are really good in this category. Uh, gone are the days where to play a war game you have to play uh, with ten thousand uh, you know uh, cardboard chits on a gigantic map. And so it's it's a really excellent time in that in that sector of the industry. There's a lot of really innovative design going on. On the other hand, nothing much happened. I mean, in terms of 2012, nothing broke out. No, uh, they didn't have any super hits. They had some, you know, they had. Reasonable successes, yes, but nothing that nothing that like lit anybody up special. Correct, and, and and by the way, and the standard that we used last year, and I think still applies here, is Memoir Forty Four. Right, this yeah. is your this is your breakout war game, and you know even within the war game community, there were a couple of the couple of real solid games that came out. Um, and I know the guys in the the group that I uh, I'm affiliated with in Grand Rapids uh, were playing consistently. Um, but nothing that nothing that GMT had to rush into a second printing kind of a thing. And really, if you look at what GMT is printing, that's kind of the whole war game community at this point. Uh, there's a lot of uh, smaller manufacturers who are doing interesting stuff. And uh, but again, nothing major. I think we said kind of uh, 
if Academy Games or GMT doesn't do anything, then we're not going to see anything. And we didn't. Academy, uh, I, I'm kind of surprised at the, some of the direction they're taking with, with the games they're coming out because they did Conflict of Heroes and they did the East Front and, well, then they, they quit. They never, <laughs> they haven't, they didn't do any of their West Front games, uh, World War II. This is World War II, by the way. And now they're doing, well, I think their next game is Napoleon, Napoleonic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they've, I, I don't know. And it's a small company. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's you, it's you and, um, I think his son really are, are the, the leads over there. Um, so they, yeah, so they've kind of moved beyond that or, or past that. So there's, there's not much going on. Yeah. I, I just, I, we'll, we'll talk about that in our previews, but yeah, I, I mean, we hit this right in the sense of we didn't expect much from it. We expected them to continue to cater to their crowd and, you know, maintain themselves, mm -hmm. but not to do anything spectacular, you know, any breakout. And that's what did happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there was... There's and there's really nice titles and all, but there was no breakout. Correct, correct. And I think that's what we were trying to call. And now, from there, we do the complete reverse. We go to the big money sector. We go over to the mass market. And we predicted in 2012 that in 2011 it had fallen and we had said that, quite frankly, we expect that the board game market is going to slide more in 2012. And we said that the the real emerging story was Target. Yeah. So the question then becomes, how do we do? Well, guess what? Um, NPD Group and others have said that board game sales, actually, they declined another 6 or 7% last year. Yeah. But Target had more games than ever before. Yes. Um, they had so many people from our industry that I would call surprising. Um, finding the Z-Man pandemic in Target was a big surprise. Yes. Uh, finding a number of Fantasy Flight board games in was a big surprise. You know, the uh, pandemic, though, pandemic is an ideal mass market game. I mean, in terms of moving from the hobby market to the mass market, it's a it's an innovative concept, but it's fairly easy. It's a fairly easy rules read. Yes, uh, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying it was still a surprise that I I didn't yes. really expect to see that title crossover. Right, I thought right. maybe there was you know maybe something like it, but, yeah, but not really that one. Well, you know, it's kind of a creepy subject. <laughs> Well, you know, the, I thought the interesting thing uh, about Target is Target is carrying hobby market games in a mass market setting. Yes. And when when hobby market games first started, I guess, creeping out into the mass market, one of the big players was Barnes & Noble. Right. And we said this last year, and I think it has continued this year, the Barnes & Noble game section has become basically, well, they have factor crap and a bunch of party games, and there's like, they'll have Settlers of Catan and Pandemic. In addition to eighty-seven thousand party games, and it, that hasn't changed. And I'm 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 kind of surprised that Target seems to be doing well with it. Uh, certainly, they've expanded beyond where they were last Christmas with with true hobby market titles. And Barnes yeah, and Noble, they probably expanded yeah. half again. Yeah, and Barnes and Noble is doing nothing of the sort. So interesting. Well, the you know the the deal in most of these cases is there's a buyer. It yes. is not, you know, it's not like going around to 100 FLGs and finding 100 different buyers um, or even just going to a distributor and finding, a no, you know, three or four different buyers. It's a guy. Yeah. And we also know that um, 
there's an interesting problem that the mass market has that's unique, and that is a product that crosses over between what is viewed as categories in their departments, because then no one knows who gets the credit. (laughs) You know, if there's enough money in it, I'm sure they'll find a way to work it out. Well, but it it does cause a problem because if they feel it should be in the book part or in the game part or in the children's part, then there is a whole hierarchy on who, you know, carrying it or not carrying it, et cetera, et cetera, because who gets the credit for it? Um, The game buyer won't buy a game that he thinks will get displayed in the book part, (laughs) and the book part won't buy a game that he thinks will get displayed in the game part because then they don't get credit. You know, now that I, I work for a large retail operation, I should go over to marketing and, and the purchasing people uh, across the street and, and find out and just, just yell at them. <laughs> so, it, may ju- it may just terrify you to have that conversation. It, it, it's true. that the, the, Some of the stuff that we do is absolutely amazing in terms of the purchasing and forecasting. And I would not want to be the guy who, who bets big on Munchkin. You know, uh, or a Munchkin derivative, uh, yeah. and then loses. But anyways, uh, so, uh, but mass market did well. Uh, sorry, the decline continued in board games. Target did well uh, with with board games. I, I I'd say that we got that one pretty much right. I'd say we got it right. And we, we we said to watch Target. Target expanded. We said that they would decline. They declined. Correct. Now the interesting thing I think for for the mass market is I want to see what's. I would love to be a fly in the wallet at. Toy Fair 2013. I would like to see what uh, Hasbro and Mattel have in stock. In fact, we should probably pre- uh, prevail on our good friend David over at the Purple Pawn to uh, to give us a give us an inside view because I think he got into. The, I don't know if he got into the Hasbro show last year or not. Right, the Hasbro you know unveiling. Right. Um, but yeah, that would be. I would be really. Well, I have a couple of retailers that might make it in this year, and I'll I'll ask them if they'll you know. Yeah, Give us we some should, feedback. Because it, Hasbro's gone in some really interesting directions with Star Wars Galaxies, with some of the, the risk derivatives and things like that. And I would love to see what the, if they're going to continue doing that. I think they are. I mean, I, I know some of the people involved in some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they will. I think they're, they like the results of those. They're going to continue to experiment with those. They're still keeping, you know, for Hasbro... To come out with a title like that, or even two titles like that, is like nothing. You know, it's yeah. when they do the half dozen or dozen titles that are they're taking those risks that they're now actually really committing to it. Otherwise, it's kind of like a luncheon break. You know, you take a shot. If it wasn't any good, it's okay. No one really notices. Well, you know, I do have to say, kudos to Hasbro, by the way, for releasing it as Star Wars Galaxies, right? Was it not? Right. Or, is it, or was it? No, it was Battleship Galaxies. Oh, never mind. All right. It was Battleship's Galaxies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank God they didn't tie it too heavily to the movie. I guess is where I'm going. Well, with. oddly enough, I don't think they have the Star Wars license now for that part. Ah. I think they may have given that up when Wizards gave up the rest of it, and that's why that's why Fantasy Flight has it. Now, what I haven't heard that I really want to know is with the sale to Disney. If that part of the division went over to Disney, or if that's still part of Lucasfilms, Lucasfilms went lock, stock, and barrel, though. 
Um, but not everything is part of that. It's the film part for sure, but not all the other parts may be. Oh no, they got no. They got George the whole thing. may still have control over his toys. I don't you know, think he no, may I, still have retained that. I don't know. No, Lucas. Um, Luke, I would have to talk to someone up at Fantasy Flight, which would, I'm sure, in a no, second, no. say, "Yeah, we're part of Disney now." Well, and all approvals go there. I think all the approvals are going to go through Disney because one, I can't imagine Disney not holding on to that. Uh, but one, uh, the other thing is that uh, I know for a fact Lucas Arts went over to Disney. Lucas Arts is the the computer game right. arm. Right. So I'm assuming if the computer game arm went, the 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 toy arm is also. I would think so as well. Um, so. I, I I suspect that the entire Star Wars concept is now Disney's. Yes, and I will also uh, uh, put a wild ass guess out there. And again, this is this is not even for the 2013 show, so I can do this. By 2014, you were, when all the licenses start expiring uh, and the movie is on the horizon for 2015, you're gonna. I think you're gonna see some real changes in what gets licensed and how it's licensed and who has the licenses. Oh God, absolutely! And how much money it's gonna cost? Yes. With three new with three new movies on the horizon, they're gonna ask for a little bit more money. Yes. Um, the difference is, and I'll be cautious on this one. Um, but to me, the differences are, see what you will about George Lucas uh, in a lot of other ways. George was very, very much concerned about the image that Star Wars projected. And he always wanted that to be as close to perfect as possible. Um, you know, so when you right. license stuff from him, you have to be very, very good about your licensing, what you could and couldn't get away with, so to speak. How close the images had to be and the sculpting and so on and so forth. Uh, Disney, I don't think, is as concerned over that. Well, here's the thing that, that, that is a very big difference between Disney and, and Lucas. Disney doesn't license dynamic content. Right. I mean, Well, that's okay. They, yes, they just bought Marvel, but that's fairly new. They just bought Star Wars. They're, they're not used to buy, to licensing a property that evolves outside of their shop, so to speak. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they do this. And, and certainly since there's a big difference between Marvel and Lucas, Lucas was basically one guy, right? Lucas, I mean, all that stuff still went through George, uh, Marvel, of course, is, you know, there's an entire company. They've been, you know, they manage that, uh, in its entirety. But the Star Wars will be, I'm assuming, is going to be managed in house at Disney, right? There, there is no more, you know. No, I'm going to be, yeah. I, I, I recently obtained a lot of in, insider conversations about process at Disney. No, you know, nothing that you can't know about, so to speak. Right. Um, is staggering. <laughs> That's all I can say is staggering business model. Yeah, well, you know, we'll have to talk about that. I think that's uh, I think that's the show topic, actually, because we've we talked about this off the air, folks. Um, and we'll have to put that in there. We'll have to we'll have to make a, a show for that. Probably, actually, uh, right after our New York Toy Fair show. I think that would be a, a so. pretty good time for it. Anyway, we should so, continue with this one. All right, so let's talk about retail. Rhett, was it a good year for retail? Yes, no, maybe. Um, it's a hard call because I I know in the local Chicagoland area, I would say yes. Most of the Chicagoland area seems to have done very well. I know having spoken to some of the people in the Wisconsin area, not so much, though in others, better. 
Um, I really don't have a feel for this this year, and that's unusual. I usually have a pretty good feel about how the retail end of it's going. I'm going to say I think it did well overall simply because lines did well overall. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw some really strong continued health. Uh, Like I say, Fantasy Flight still turns gold on a regular basis. Um, (laughs) You know, Mayfair... didn't really have anything major in our industry. Um, Rio had some nice titles, but nothing big in breakout. Uh, Z-Man, nothing big in breakout. You know, we didn't get a new Agricola. We didn't get a new um, uh, Dominion type of thing. But we saw a lot of good sales, right. just generally speaking with everything. You yeah, know, well, board games here, miniatures games there. We know, um, you know, all the successes. Yeah. Basically, what we've talked about running through our our predictions here is we predicted that people would do well, and they did. I have to assume that well-run businesses continue to do well. Right. Well, you know, I was I was uh, smiling to myself while you were talking. I'm like, oh, so it's the same old story with retail, right, in that some guys do good, some guys do bad, and it's that's how it goes all the time. It's a but we st- didn't. What I will say is we didn't see any weird dynamic shift. I don't really yeah. think we saw a mass internet exodus, you know, where where board games are now expensive enough that people are exclusively buying them online as opposed to out of their friendly locals. Right. Um, and the same thing with miniatures, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, there's no category where I feel they have shifted dynamically away now right. i'm sure they do shift but i don't think it's dynamically away gotcha yeah so retail i think yeah we, retail we said it was going to be uh basically we had said that the internet discounters had already done their damage and the economy's improving uh but it's still a little dicey um as it always is out there and the result was oh it's a little dicey and then the internet discounters have already done their damage <laughs> so much, yeah. yeah so we we pretty much we pretty much called that one uh now in terms of manufacturing this is where we had our our big disagreement uh you said that everyone was going to come to the US to print print games i said they should still go to china uh or europe and the result was, well, Forbes is now talking about how people are bringing, like General Electric, are bringing manufacturing back to the United States. Uh, so apparently it's a meme now, right? I read it in Forbes. Um, <laughs> but by the same token, I don't, I don't know that it's a, I don't know that it's a thing yet about getting your game printed in the U.S. I think that's going to take some time, and the reason is, Red, as you well know, plastic. Yeah, and especially because now you, our our quality demand, our our consumers' mm-hmm. expectations have become higher and higher, and the components have, have followed suit. You know, yes. um, Fantasy Flight used to be an exception; they were so spectacular. Now, right. Fantasy Flight is a norm. Correct, and the thing is, is that plastics uh, give everybody an idea. Uh, you're looking at, and in China, it's it's say a four or five thousand dollar mold cost for a you know typical hard plastic uh, sprue of miniatures. In the United States, that same you know mold is going to be twenty to twenty five thousand dollars. Right. And so and, there's that's as that's a matter it. of yeah. fact, I was staggered. I just heard some new some new information just today mm-hmm. about the costs of some of the super high tech molds yeah. being close to like a quarter million dollars. 
Yes. Yeah. You. I don't think we're. I, 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 no one in our industry is doing. GW. That. Really? Oh, of course. GW apparently is cutting edge on this. It has to do with moving parts inside the molds. So you can do things like have bolt guns with barrels that are hollow. Oof. Yeah. And well, they do. And the way they do this, it's a moving part inside that, which is why it costs so much. Yeah. So there's a, again, a quarter million dollar mold. GW can do it. The rest of us don't have the economy of scale in this industry. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it's but it's it maybe explains why it costs seventy five dollars. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the GW miniature. But the cost of other things. Okay, if you're gonna print, say you're gonna print five thousand, you know, perfect bound role playing game books, you can probably for what it will cost you to ship those from Southeast Asia to the United States, uh, plus the fact that your capital is going to be tied up a lot longer, it might make sense, and it probably does. Uh, it's it's going to be at least a wash. To get them printed in the United States, yeah. Unless unless you have some kind of super special deal going on, mm-hmm. which only probably the biggest manufacturers do, um, you know, Wizards of the Coast, Fantasy Flight, those types of guys who are printing a a lot, Paizo maybe even um, a lot of a lot of something and a lot of other stuff as well, mm-hmm. where you're getting a better you know a better price just because you're doing so much printing. Right, exactly. So, Not even just printing on a single product, but so much printing. But, Rhett, I have to say, the big divider for us on manufacturing, because we had said in 2012, and I quote, we may see some Kickstarter-financed hit late in the year, end quote. Now, you and I are still arguing about this, because as you know, uh, <laughs> Kickstarter... Kickstarter. You, it, you claim that they don't exist yet, and I say they've already gotten the money. Well, yeah, exactly. So, and uh, we didn't necessarily come out and say it on our, our uh, 2012 prediction show, but Kickstarter uh, and one of the shows after that, you called it and you said Kickstarter is going to be huge. I was still skeptical. Kickstarter was huge. Uh, it has become huge. It has become the de facto way that new stuff gets financed. Um, but here's the thing: <laughs> for 2012. Yes, they got their their bazillion dollars for Ogre and and a couple other games out there have gotten uh, a lot of money. They haven't shipped yet, so I I won't say that they're hits yet because they haven't shipped. Yeah, they still have to make a product. Um, there are a few of them out there, but none of the really big ones have have materialized yet. Yeah. Though, from what I understand, the very beginning of um, the Reaper Bones line mm-hmm. is out. Okay. And that's a, it's such a huge line. It's going to take it a long time to get out just so it doesn't overwhelm retailers. But um, forget if it's 100 or 300 minis or some crazy number that they did for the Kickstarter. Million dollar project again. And the beginnings of it have already are out there now. So, yeah, again, uh, make no bones about it, folks. Kickstarter was the manufacturing story of 2012. And we, we didn't... <laughs> We called it, but not in the necessarily in the predictions part of the show. So I'm going to say I'm going to give us a pass on this. Uh, <laughs> you know, we are just running pass fail. We did, yeah, we did recognize that it was it was there. We didn't, haven't necessarily seen hits yet. Let me put it this way: they're hits for manufacturers, right? Yes, but they, they, we haven't proven that they're going to be audience hits yet. So obviously, they, here's the here's the the problem with Kickstarter, right? If you run a successful Kickstarter campaign, did you just exhaust your market? Right, that's and that's the that was that's always still the, in debate. 
Right. And it's the same thing with GMT does their P500, right? They've got all these people. They, there's an express interest in the product. Is that it? Right. So we'll have to see. But anyways, yeah, I think Kickstarter, Kickstarter by the way, you know, the, the pitches on Kickstarter have gotten so refined that I, I, I can't I, – I wonder how long it's going to be before it, it gets so big that the smaller companies aren't can't go to Kickstarter anymore because they're not refined enough. Oddly enough, here's the cool part. Some of the stuff on Kickstarter is so good. The the people doing it, the levels right. that are doing it, but it's a very visceral thing. They actually come back after doing them and they say, that just looks too good. It looks commercial. And because commercial doesn't work well on Kickstarter, it has to feel friendlier right yeah they're actually toning them back oh that's <laughs> so funny they, they look a little bit jerkier and stuff like that some of this it, it, i have seen some of these it just astonishes me because these people can run through these things they're real voice actors they're real acting people etc cetera, etc cetera. they can get this 100 percent right you know one or two takes right they actually get it right too well so they actually have to go back and Build in mistakes so that it looks more natural. That is <laughs> very strange. That is the most meta thing. I just love yeah. the, I love the whole philosophy that's running on Kickstarter. It's it's fun. I, it's, that so is, much, it's so much fun to see this new area opening. You know, folks, that's how our podcast is. It's actually perfect. We have to we strive each week to find ways to inject mistakes so that we found. We have more to come back in. and re-edit to find you know, to put these mistakes in. That's right. That's right. So uh, the last thing we talked about in our 2012 predictions was game conventions, and we noted that um, we predicted that everyone would be up about eight to twelve percent. Uh, we I questioned the Gamma Trade Show is a good idea for retailers. And BGG.com, we, we said, would continue its ascent. And I said I was worried about Chitag. And Rhett? Where do we want to start? Well, let's start with the Origins, up. Or Gen Con, oh my God, way up. Way up. BGG Con, phenomenal. Yep. Chitag, way up. Yeah, okay, I completely uh, Gamma Trade Chi-Tag. Show, hard to call. Um, and Gamma Trade Show still has one of those things of, some years are going to be much better to go than others. Yes, yes, and I and I, I won't say I. There was so little information coming out of Gamma Trade Show this year that I'm gonna I'm gonna say that we were right about Gamma Trade Show being a question mark uh, as a good idea, just because nobody there was no buzz, right? Yeah, I'm gonna make. Show. I can't wait to get to our 2013 predictions on this part in particular because I'm gonna go way out of the limb on this one. Ooh, I can't wait to hear that. That'll be our that'll be our next show, folks. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Origins was up. They're doing really well marketing to the casual uh, families. And Gen Con uh, did a little bit of the same thing on Sunday. Uh, their attendance was way up. And uh, BDG.com, as you know, it's a managed growth, right? They they purposely limit how much they're going to grow each year, and they sell out each year. Um, and it was a fantastic show. And then Chai Tag, I was starting to worry about, but you know what? Everybody who went uh, raved about it, and their attendance was up. So I was completely wrong about Chai Tag. Yeah, I'm. I, I got to say that now. This apparently is the first year that BGG opened up to trade show part. It was always a gaming show, mm-hmm. but they didn't really have much in the way of you know 
exhibitors there to, right. My, to yeah. show goods or talk about goods and so on and so forth. Um, obviously, for those been listening before, this was my first year there uh, with manufacturing. I'm staggered. Um, yeah. At a show like one quarter or one third the size of Origins, we felt like we spoke to people like we were at Gen Con. It was a five-day convention. We were hidden in the furthest recesses. Everybody found us. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great great show, and it and it's it's just been getting better with time. And so, yeah, I'm I'm glad that uh, that it's doing well. My only problem is that it's on the same weekend as Chai Tag, and I can drive to Chai Tag. Yes, yes, you really. I mean, if you. You know, if, if you have a board game itch, this is a con to make. Yes. I'll go that far. This this is, it's a five-day convention, which is one day longer than normal. Um, and as a matter of fact, we're still kind of stunned by that and keeping our, our count has now gotten completely screwed up within our uh, internal structure on, you know, is conventions. It, is it the best four but, days uh, in gaming this, plus this is This is great. I, I really... I haven't been blown away by a convention in years. This one blew me away. And Gen Con had done it before this. So this went way over the top. So, all right. Well, folks, that is our 2012 recap. Uh, I Boy, oh boy, right. Weird. This is a long show. Uh, but that is everything we have to say about 2012. And if you want to comment on that show, Rhett, how can they get in touch with us to make, make us feel even worse about our 2012 predictions? Well, you can com- you can <clears throat> contact us through our email at papermoney at purplepawn.com. You can Skype us at Paper Money Podcast. Or, or you can just subscribe to our feed on the Purple Pawn. That's purplepawn.com slash category slash papermoney slash feed. And I'd also like to point out, by the way, uh, Rhett, um, well, actually, Rhett, tell, tell them what's coming up, and then I'm going to come back to the to the listener feedback portion. Okay. Well, our upcoming stuff is, first, the New Year's Prediction Show. Yes, folks, that's right. We're going to do as many shows in, like, six weeks as we did in almost the last six months. That's right. The New York Toy Fair, coming up in just uh, about four weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will be doing our convention preview show as yeah, well. That's right. And like I said, the Purple Pawn is going to have, uh, I think Robert's going to go this year. And we are going to talk about all the conventions coming up in the year. Now, again, that's going to be after our 2013 prediction show. Because as this show is witness, we can go on and on and on about this prognosticating stuff. But here's the thing. For our 2013 predictions, we encourage you, the listener... Two, send us your predictions for 2013, right? We'll put them right on the show with our predictions. Again, you see, you know how we've broken them down by category. Uh, so, you know, board games, CCGs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, if you have any wild-ass guesses, put them in there, too. We'll put them on the show. We'll see how you stack up as a pundit as well. And we should remind you that we will put your toes in the fire Come January of 2014, when it comes down to see how well you did. That's right. The internet is a harsh mistress. It's out there, and it's out there for good. (laughs) So on that note, we will talk to you all in, gosh, I think it's just going to be two weeks, right? I'm not even used to that anymore. Two weeks. Yep. All right.
Well, that's all for us. I'm Ben Clark. And I'm Red Kim. We'll see you Have later. Have a great year. Bye.